Welcome to the Sounds of Exploration podcast, a brand new series by the North Face that brings adventure to your ears and souls. I'm Andra Kossu, I'm a freelance filmmaker working with the North Face athletes from the global team, and I'll be your host for this pilot episode. For this first installment of the series, we have the pleasure to have not just one, but two amazing guests husband and wife, mom and dad, world-renowned rock climbers and adventurers, James Pearson and Caroline Cavaldini. How are you doing, guys? Doing pretty good, Andrea. Fine. So it's uh, February 2021, and we're recording this from your house in the south of France. And... It goes without saying that this last year has been a really, really crazy one. Definitely. This year has, I guess, thinking positively, we can say it's just asked us to redefine the way that we look at the world of adventure and traveling and climbing. There's definitely been some challenges, but I think it's been, in a strange way, kind of fun along the way to reimagine how all these things work together. And we've definitely... We've definitely managed to do some pretty cool projects. I think actually 2020 has been a very good year for us. I I think we've grown a lot. Maybe had more time than usual to stop and think and really question whether we were on the right path, the path that we wanted beforehand. So yeah, I feel better now. So the goal of this podcast series is to give our listeners a break be inspired by stories of exploration from the best in the game, and get the motivation to go out there and live your own. Other than that, it's about the people, not just about some crazy summit pushes and badass first ascents, even though, I mean, we'll have a lot of that, of course, in the series, but it's about the stories of the individuals that are behind all that and dedicate their lives to the exploration to push the boundaries of what's known and what's possible, and basically inspires us all to live our own lives to the fullest. And so we're going to do this through conversations, through discussions and real authentic dialogues each and every episode with a different guest from the team. But first, by listening to their own stories in first person from their own voices. So James and Caro, among the dozens of beautiful adventures you have collected during the years, where are you going to take us today? I think today we're actually going to revisit a very recent chapter in our lives. It was two routes we climbed this winter, in fact this Christmas, on the Gritstone in the UK during a visit to my family. And they are two routes that mean quite a lot to both of us and I hope by the end of this little story you'll understand why yeah sounds fun so let's get to it this is the sounds of exploration podcast episode one with James Pearson and Caroline Cavaldini I think the story of uh, Gaia and Harder Faster it's it's a very old story, actually. Uh, it started when I when I met James. So that's 2010. 
you're you're a trad climber and I was a competition climber and uh, <laughs> you have a very close-minded competition climber so I didn't know what trad meant trad for traditional it's climbing while placing your own protections and in general it's climbing in dangerous situation like the opposite of the sport that I was doing so when I met James I guess I was like attracted without really wanting to admit it by the guy and, <laughs> and I googled trad climbing straight away and I, I found straight away a video of Gaia where the climber basically falls off it and really nearly hits the ground. I think Jean-Mine Trintieu fell pff, what, 40 centimeters from the ground and his leg hit the corner as well, because it's a corner. So I don't know if he broke his leg, but at least it clearly wasn't a comfortable fall. And I think as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay, I'm over this guy, he's an idiot. I was very proud of myself, actually. Uh, but somehow I wasn't over him. And I guess I wasn't over Gaia either, because 10 years later, Despite always thinking this was a crazy route and a, a route not for me, I find myself wanting to try it. You said that track climbing is about climbing in danger. I think I just wanted to stop you there and, and correct that, at least from my point of view. For me, track climbing, danger is an active element in it, but it's more about controlling the danger and doing everything that you can to try to make the routes as safe as possible. Just a, a little point I want to put across there for whatever that means. But yeah, so Gaia and Harder Faster are two pretty iconic routes at Black Rocks, which is a crag near to my house in Matlock um, on the edge of the Peak District in the UK. When you say near to your house, it's five minutes yeah, five or, it's your, five or ten It's minutes. your garden, basically. But you never committed to any of those two routes despite starting climbing there. So Gaia is a route that was first climbed by Johnny Dawes in 1986. Harder Faster was first climbed in 2000 by Charlie Woodburn and is essentially a direct finish to Gaia. So whereas Gaia climbed this amazing groove feature in the in the front of this, this beautiful buttress of rock, and then steps right at the earliest possibility and this kind of escapes onto the arete. Harder Faster is a, a direct line that goes all the way to the top, finishing through these horrendous slopers. It's definitely not as well known as Gaia and definitely not as, as iconic um, because of its history, but it's become very infamous in recent years as it's one of the least repeated routes on Gritstone, despite not getting necessarily the, the very hardest grade. But you have to you have to picture Gaia and harder faster. I mean, the way you talk about it, it looks like something grand, and it's eight meters high. That's it, not true. It's eighteen <laughs> meters high. Maybe ten meters the high. The very very top of that of that piece of rock is eighteen meters. But yeah, the hard the hard climbing, even on harder faster, is all over by I think fifteen meters, and Gaia a bit less than that. So yeah, there really isn't that much actual climbing to be done. But there's a lot of, of preparation and, and soul-searching. So it's really UK... What is it? It's an old quarry, right? 
It's been quarried. An old quarry? Not at all. Not it's at totally all. natural. Okay. Blasphemy. <laughs> I just thought some parts of the not Ga- I know Gaia is not quarried, but okay. No, you just right. couldn't imagine that nature could form such such wonderful features and, and lines. No. I was trying Used to, to climbing on all the scrappy scrappy limestone in France. <laughs> no, it's not quarried. There's a quarry on the other side of the of the valley, on the other side of the road. But that's all. You can see the difference. For James, this is uh, this is his, his childhood, and it's. It's a beauty of your childhood. And the first time I went to Black Rocks, <laughs> I think I told you, I think we should simply put um, a bolt on top and you do it on top rope. It's What's the first about that? Because this is nothing. <laughs> I mean, he looked at me at the time and yeah, it was like two worlds not really understanding each other. Um, you have to, this is gridstone. For a start, gridstone is very, I mean, British only. It's a very special type of um, sandstone with a big grain. It's always quite dark. And because it's England, it's very often quite green as well. That's true, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially black rocks, but not that part. The front face with other roots like Meshuga is, is yeah, quite a, quite a scary place. But Gaia is always it's beautiful when you walk up there. Especially when it's when it's really dry and the rock stops being kind of a browny grey and becomes almost a light grey green. So you have these winter days where there's not a leaf on the trees and it's England, so you don't really see the blue of the sky. There's, there's I mean, the sky is not blue in England in winter, and you just have this horizon line of uh, the, the the well dead-looking trees and the rock striking and this this shape that is just in front of you, like taking the whole space and it's it's Gaia and, and harder, faster. So it's, as soon as you arrive to this place, it jumps on you. It's true. I think what makes Gaia especially important in the history of gritstone climbing is the fact that it kind of, it really represents everything that hard grit climbing means. It sits very much on the border of between what's possible, what's acceptable, and what's just not. As in that you have some protection. You have some really good protection at the beginning of the climb. Except it's you, way too low. And you run it out just far enough that you're kind of tickling and playing with the limits of where you can and can't fall. Well, this is where we don't really know, actually. <laughs> James thinks it's okay, but where where Jean-Mine Trintier falls, and nobody's fallen from higher, uh, you're half a meter from the ground. So the next movement, which is still hard, most likely you're on the ground. So when you say tickling danger, <laughs> I mean, that's a heavy tickle. Yeah, you definitely you definitely put a lot of your own security in the hands of your B-layer, which obviously you do at any time that you go climbing. But in this case, you're, you're not just asking your B-layer to hold the ropes for you, but you're also asking them to actively run out the way if you were to fall so that they can take in that extra little half a meter of slack, which might make all the difference. And so it it really demands a big, an important relationship between the climber and the belayer. And to ask somebody to belay you on a route like that, I think is, um, it, it's a really important question. Yeah, to the point, I mean, this is very special. Again, it's British belaying. I've been climbing for, well, since I was 12, so more than 20 years, and I'm still not competent enough to <laughs> belay on a route like that. 
It's, I mean, it's crazy. You're not asking your person to belay you. You're asking them to watch you so closely and have such good reflex that they're going to be able to jump backwards while you're falling. And not one second earlier, because <laughs> if they did jump and you actually didn't fall, then they would actually really hurt you. And not half a second too late, because if they did jump half a second too late, they would be too late to take the slack of the rope. It's, I mean, this, I mean, maybe the skill is... I don't, I don't even know how you acquire a skill like that because you can't really test it. So it's You're not only asking them to belay you perfectly, you're also asking them to go beyond perfect if you, if you were to make a mistake and to somehow pull you back from, from the brink of oblivion with some kind of belaying dark magic. Recently, Caroline and, and myself have become parents to a little boy, Arthur. He's two now. And... In all honesty, I thought my days of climbing bold routes like this were finished. Harder, faster is an especially dangerous route on the gritstone. And even back in my prime gritstone shape, I think routes like this were something I always tried to avoid. It's not necessarily that they were harder to climb than other routes. I'd technically done routes that get a bigger grade, both in terms of their, their danger and their difficulty. But Harder Faster has what so many routes on the Gritstone have, and it's this strange, uncontrollable quality, making it practically impossible to feel absolutely 100% sure that you're going to get up the thing. The dangerous routes that I like to climb eventually, and certainly the hardest routes that I've done on the Grit, always happen to be the most secure. They were the most physically difficult where although there might be a significant element of danger and several places in the route where you can't really fall off, the holds themselves were usually relatively good, or at least relatively positive. And with a little bit of extra strength or extra fitness, you can always pull a little bit harder than necessary or hang on for a little bit longer and get yourself out of trouble. There are, however, this special breed of routes that rely in somewhat on, on faith in friction and a perfect technique. They're routes that you can climb 10, 20, maybe 50 times in a row on a top rope and not fall off, but just on one random go, your foot slips or your hand goes for a reason that you can't really explain. And that makes you have these constant questions about whether or not you can actually control it when the time comes and whether it's even worth it. The biggest problem though is that we're, we're parents now and if I thought that climbing a route like Harder Faster was too dangerous back in the day, then nowadays with all my new responsibilities, it was, should be totally out of the question. I think one of the reasons that we set our eyes on Gaia and Harder Faster is that we are parents and this extremely dangerous trad route, you always work them on the top rope or on a static. So weirdly, they're super convenient for a climbing parent because... One parent takes care of Kido and plays with him and the other one is on his static working the moves and that can work super fine for full days on. On Gaia and on Harder Faster, you, you start uh, up an easy side traverse. You place, well, one first protection that is way too low anyway. And then another protection where you put two friends in, a, in, a, in, the, in the crack that is... Two really good friends. But they are what? four meters of the ground and the route is you said 
10 meters. <laughs> so clearly, you make the math and it's quite simple. The it ground just... actually drops away a little bit under the roots. You gain a few centimeters, <laughs> definitely just because of the hill, <laughs> as long as you fall far enough backwards. But yeah, the gear is not optimally placed. So yeah, there's these two placements uh, next to each other at four meters-ish. And then there is not a single, there's nothing else. You just start climbing towards the top and as terrifying as that might sound, actually, when you're really in the element of climbing hard routes on the gritstone, it's actually incredibly freeing. You don't have to, to stop to worry about clipping quick draws or placing <laughs> yeah. gear. It is a very, very liberating form of climbing. I wouldn't. Yeah, okay. It's just you and, and the rock. And the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and we started warming up and it takes a while because on that day it was minus three degrees, which is ridiculously cold. Can I make them shoes? It's a double down jacket day. And <laughs> we... But then you, it's just physiological, you warm up, it gets better. And we both got pretty warmed up and Arthur arrived and he was crying. <laughs> and I found that really difficult as a mom, you know, I was like, oh, I, I don't like that. Maybe he's got a bad feeling, you know, he's a, he's a two-year-old. He, maybe he knows better than me, maybe I shouldn't go near it. So I felt really bad. And uh, I was gonna go first, so I, I, I did my knots. Um, my helmet. Took off my jacket and it started snowing. <laughs> so obviously it starts snowing, the snow goes on the rock and it gets wet and straight away it's game off. But James was quite stubborn, so he waited a little bit. And the snow stopped and he went back on the route, you cleaned it again. <laughs> so it sounds like nothing, but this is like an hour and a half of mofathing. So you decided to set off and Tom and I, we were simulbling, which means we, James started with two ropes. Uh, the only point of the two ropes was to have two belayers. So he gets a chance that one of the belayers will react well. So having a really good belayer on, on a route like Harder Faster and even on Gaia is, is super important, but it's also putting a ton of pressure on them. And so what I decided to do on Harder Faster was to have two belayers both independently on, on one rope and have those two ropes running through separate pieces of gear at the same place so that ultimately I had twice the chance of one of them being able to react uh, well enough to take in enough rope and, and potentially keep me off the floor. The downside of that is that if one of them makes a mistake and reacts too too quickly, then they also might pull me off the route. So... I'd talked to both Caroline and my friend Tom, who'd come out to belay me because he's got a lot of experience in, in belaying hard routes already, and said to them both that, okay, on these certain section of movements, this is where you need to be really focused. This is where I might fall and you might still be able to save me. But when I go past this set of movements, forget about belaying me. Just give me lots of slack. Imagine that I'm soloing the route because at that point, there's nothing that you can do. When everything was, was organized and I set off up the route, I remember how things should feel and how they should fall into place from climbing routes like this so many years ago. But it's been so much time and so many things have happened to me in my life since then. I'm still not really sure if it's actually going to happen. 
I knew from routes like Equilibrium how perfect climbing a gritstone route can, can feel, how wonderful, almost spiritual of an experience it can be. And I really wanted to have that on Harder Faster. I didn't want to go through all of this, this, this time and torment of working the route only to terrify myself on the lead and get through it shaking and, and scared. But because it's something that you can't actually physically control, it's a kind of a mental state that you just happen to find yourself in, you never really know if it's going to arrive and if things are going to work out perfectly like you want them to. Luckily for me, when I started climbing up harder, faster, you place the gear, you do the first tricky moves at the beginning of the groove, and quickly you find yourself in a position that on a sport route would already be kind of a bit scary. You've already got the last, the last piece of gear or the last bolt a little bit below your feet. In a sport route, you'd be looking for the next quick draw to clip at this point. But you know, in a route like Harder Faster, you've got another 15 or 20 moves to do before you get to the top of the crag. There's no more quick draws to look at. There's nothing else to aim for apart from getting to the top and executing those moves perfectly like you know you can do. From my days of top roping on the route, in my head I had different points of, of return. Little ways that I could kind of gauge my progress going up the thing. Certain moves that should feel relatively easy or you know should feel tough or should feel really, really hard. And depending on how they felt in real time, I had a good idea, a way of gauging my own progress and my kind of my own situation up there. At least this was the theory, because actually what happened in practice was exactly the same that happened on routes like Equilibrium. When you start climbing into the serious section of the route, you just lose yourself in this bubble, this bubble of, of peace and tranquility and, and serenity something that I've never I've never found anywhere else in 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 life in general just this absolute void of feeling and an emotion the only thing is you and and the rock and the climbing As perfectly as I wanted the ascent to go, I actually ended up making a few little mistakes, not necessarily with the climbing, but with the gear, the way that I positioned the ropes and ended up having quite a lot of rope drag. The funny thing is though, when you're in this, this little bubble of, of calm, you don't worry about things like that. Things happen to you as you're climbing and you just find a way to deal with them and move on. So the rope felt really heavy on me. I'd stop in moves that before on a top rope had felt really desperate. But yet, there on the lead felt so easy, so fluid, that I could pull the rope, make sure that I had enough freedom to do the next moves, and carry on again. Even in the point where I was supposed to stop and kind of gauge how I was feeling, and look down and tell my belayers if everything was okay, on the ascent I just carried on climbing straight through it. There was no crux of the route on that one ascent. Every move felt like every other route, despite them actually being objectively much harder or much easier. Pretty soon I find myself right up at the top of the route on these incredible yet terrible slopers. Holds that require so much perfection to hold them in just the right way to be able to move through them. Yet they felt practically like jugs on the ascent. At that point I'd passed the point of no return by quite a few moves. Caroline and Tom had paid out a load of slack and all I had to do was one last tricky mantle to get to the top of the crag. 
It's not necessarily a hard move, and it's something that I really shouldn't ever fall off, but I could fall if things aren't going right. And at that point, I can still feel that I've got a really a hell of a lot of rope drag. And it's a situation that, if I could look at things objectively, I would imagine to be quite scary. Yet at that time, I don't feel any of this. I just feel the rope heavy on my harness, I pull through a little bit of extra slack, and I pop into this awkward, strange, slopey mantle, do the move, and before I know it, I'm stood on the top of the crag. It's at that point that elation hits you. You realize what you've just done. You realize that everything that you've been building up to over the last days or, or weeks has suddenly come to an end, that you've achieved this, this goal that seemed like an unattainable mountain just some time ago, and now is done. It's finished. It's, it's over. And suddenly you're back in reality. Arthur woke up, actually, just as I came down from the route. He'd actually been having a snooze at the bottom in his tent as, as, I, as I climbed, which always struck me as, as kind of funny. And um, so Arthur woke up. He played with, with me a little bit, but it was still so, so cold. And he'd already been out for so long that we sent him back with my mum and dad back home to wait for us. So I immediately switched roles back into B-layer mode. And it was your turn to make the most of the, the good weather that was still hanging around and get Gaia done. This is a new, this is a new emotion because I've never done a route like that. Uh, so mental. And the new game is, it's been lasting for two weeks actually of questioning constantly, um, am I being stupid going for a route like that? Am I actually going to go for it? Should I go for it? Should I not go for it? And I was really worried about, there's kind of a semi-rest uh, in the middle of Gaia because you're in a groove. And you reach it super quickly. Uh, so you pass the gear and you're on this angle with super nice movement, but like it just goes very fast. It's it's just focus. And you have this uh, semi-rest in the groove where you're still fine if you fell there. But then the problem with having a rest is that it gives you enough time to think. And so I had thought and visualized that moment a lot because I think this is the dangerous moment. It's the moment where you could lose focus. You could start freaking out. It's okay because you could still reverse, but as soon as you go again, as you leave that rest, it's straight away dangerous zone. It's like a on-off button, as if like suddenly the fire is on. But that's not how it feels. It should really not feel like that. It has to feel like full focus, like one movement after one movement, your breath and your feet, and there's nothing else. So I, I focus on having my mind one step ahead. So I'm, I'm stepping sideways and I take the sloper and then there's this difficult release and I'm just really onto the sensations and a fraction of my brain is onto how to do the next movement perfectly. And then I send my, my toe onto the ret and I, I make sure I don't take too much time. It's a rhythm thing because if I am too slow, there is time to think and t thinking isn't a good idea. And then I pull over the mantle and And then it's finished. Woohoo! Ah, oh, cool! Oh, that was fun! 
So it's a, we are talking of 20 seconds of disappearing and then you stand on your rat and you're out of your bubble and it's just uh, the world grows again and you remember you're, you're a parent. <laughs> oh yeah, my baby. Let's be realistic, it was two weeks of full focus for both of us. And the new thing there is that in the middle of this full focus, there is a baby to take care of. If you're just a climber, you're so selfish for two weeks and you just think of every single free moment of thinking, you're, you're rehearsing your movements. If you're, if you're a parent, you can't do that because baby doesn't allow that. It's like being two person at the same time. I don't think you have been like that. I think you are sort of absent for two weeks. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have to admit that after I climbed harder, faster, it was kind of a relief because I felt like I could come back more to the present. For Christmas Day. For Christmas Day, yeah. <laughs> because the route that I wanted to climb, I think, was so was so demanding of me uh, men mentally. I feel like I really needed to give it everything that I could to make sure that there was no, or there was as little chance as possible of falling off. And I think, honestly, that probably asked a little bit too much of me, more than I was happy to give in hindsight. And as amazing as an experience as it was to go back and climb a route like that, it's not something that I would like to do every, every week because it asks me to be too selfish, to be more selfish than I've become used to being in recent years, to be basically as selfish as I was when I was, when I was 18. And that's not something that I want to do anymore. I want to have time there to, to spend with Arthur and to give to Caroline and, and all the other people around me. But still, I think having Arthur there with me made the burden perhaps easier to, to cope with and to deal with. There were the moments where maybe it got too much and I was thinking too much about the route when you could actually, just by then switching back to thinking about Arthur and being a dad and a husband, you could actually stop stressing about the route. Whereas perhaps a few years ago before when that was the only important or when that seemed like the only really important thing in my life, it was really hard to, to switch off and move away from it. So I'm definitely not perfect. There's definitely always progression, I think personally, but it's also been a very interesting experience. This is the Sounds of Exploration podcast, episode one with James Pearson and Caroline Chavaldini.